Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Excited, as always, to be here in my favorite place for the week, live with you, my listeners, enjoying every moment of life here in Vero Beach, Florida, and I know that you're all over the world listening to me on the podcast and on iHeartRadio and to my local listeners. Aren't you enjoying this beautiful day? I know we've lost some of that uh, crispness in the air and we've gone back to the fact that we live in Florida today, but it is still always just such a beautiful day. And my mom would be saying, look at those clouds, Laura, that blue sky. Isn't, doesn't it just lift your heart? So as you go about your day today, if you're listening to me in the car radio, in the car on the radio, or at home, take a look out the window and just look at the beauty that is this wonderful place that we get to live in. Wherever you are in the world, take that moment and look out that window and look at the beauty of where you live. My guest today is somebody that we've been trying to get her on the show for a while and schedules just, you know, I my show book's out so far in advance and I, I'm really honored by the fact that everybody wants to be on the show and I really wanted to have her on. I met her through my dear friend Bobby Gavanis, who you've heard me mention multiple times and my guest is Sahar, um, Sahar Irwin. She is originally from Iran and You know, I'm just going to bring her right on. Let's talk about her. Uh, Sahar, welcome to the show. Hi, Marie. How are you? Thank you for having me on the show. I'm I'm so glad that we finally got to have you on the show. You know, it's what you talk about and your life story is so powerful. You know, as a woman who was born and raised in the United States, I accept certain things as just part of life, right? Um, You know, growing up, I couldn't play sports. I I wanted to be on my brother's Little League team, but I couldn't because I was a woman. Eventually, Title 19 allowed women to participate in sports. But there wasn't a lot that I felt I couldn't do. I could wear dresses. I could wear my hair whatever way I wanted. You know, I could wear short shorts for that brief moment in time when I had a body where I was willing to wear short shorts, you know. But you come from a country that just stepping outside the door for you could create so much fear. You're from Iran, correct? Uh, Yes, I am. I was uh, born and raised there. For an American woman, or or even a man, it just seems like a country that we don't understand. And you speak a lot about embracing feminine feminine. I cannot speak this morning, Mr. B. um, Embracing femininity. And, you know, it got me thinking, what does it really mean to be a woman? But it it differs depending on where you live, doesn't it? Uh, it does. Uh, I, where I grew up as a young woman, going to college, I was not allowed to wear makeup and nail polish in public. I couldn't just you know, go out with a nice dress and have my hair out. So I had to literally cover my hair and wear a uniform in public. And it was an issue for me because, you know, I I was a woman, young woman that I wanted to be able to express myself and feel free. And, you know, this limit was truly hard on me. 
And I remember that the every Friday morning, I would go mountain hiking with my dad in north of Tehran, my hometown. And I was very stubborn, so I would still manage to wear the makeup, wear the nail polish, but I would wear like sunglasses to cover my eyeshadow or I would wear a white glove to cover the nail polish and pretending that I am doing all of this um, for the sake of protecting my skin from sun. But in reality, it was just I wanted to still be able to wear these things. And back then, I even had something that my 12-year-old son right now has no clue what it is, Walkman. I, I don't, you know, with new generation, they don't know what Walkman is. So I had a little Walkman also that I, ha I had to hide under my uniform. And I would play American music. It, you know, back then, like, Celine Dion was my favorite. So... I would do all of these things and would go hiking and at the base of the mountain, Laura, it was a police that, like a security, they would monitor women from head to toe to make sure that they are following the rules. And if they would cut us, they could potentially send us to jail. So it's like every Friday morning, I'm going to do some exercise and express my freedom but then at the same time, I'm risking my life. And then when I would pass the base of the mountain and pass the security guards, then I would go up and take my gloves, gloves off. I would take my sunglasses off, even my scarf off, on and on, off and on, so that I could, you know, let the fresh air go through my curly hair and just express myself as a young woman. But if a security guard was happened to come by or even another man came by and saw you like that you could still get in into trouble and still be arrested it was always risky yes i can't even imagine living a life like that i mean how do you how do you get through something like that when by just by being born your rights are are limited and you're, you're living in fear every moment Right. I would say by knowing at your core that these are your rights and then having the resilience to find a way to become creative, to say, okay, you know, this is my circumstances and challenges and the system, but I'm going to find a way to be creative and still experience what I want to experience despite the limit. It sounds like your family was, a, was more progressive than perhaps a number of other families inside Iran because you were able your, your dad probably knew that you were wearing makeup or had the Walkman or, or things like that or is that not true no it's true uh, my um, I'm from a middle-class family my dad is a doctor so um, they really didn't have any issue for, with me you know wearing these things or doing these things the only concern was that hey you know be careful that you don't get caught because there were times that I would go hiking by myself and back then we didn't even have cell phones. So it's like my dad drops me off at the base of the mountain and a few hours later he comes back to pick me up and of course they worry for me, you know, what if something happens? What if, some, if a girl was born into a family that wasn't like yours? Um, I would say like some uh, ladies there, some girls, they just get used to it and they 
uh, are okay with the restriction, that's their belief, and then some don't, you know, some struggle with it. Okay, so you're born into a middle-class family. Your dad's a doctor, so education, it sounds like, is something very important to them. In America, we hear about women in Iran not being allowed to um, have certain basic freedoms. They can perhaps go to school, but maybe not for everything. They can't get certain kinds of jobs. And we don't really know what's true or not. We know what, uh, what we're being allowed to know about that country. How did you get the education that you got? Uh, well, it was not difficult to get the education. I have a bachelor's degree in applied math, and it was, you know, me being woman didn't make it any difficult to get my degree versus if I was a male student. The only thing I would say it was challenging was that when I got graduated and I was seeking job, I would say that it was difficult being a woman, but even more difficult being in the environment that was conservative, religious-wise, and, you know, like me not following necessarily the rules, it truly made it difficult to go on interviews. And, you know, I wanted to be a teacher and work at school, and I couldn't get the job, even wow. though I had the qualification. And then eventually when I got accepted one or two places, I saw that the environment was too hostile for me, that I could not be myself, and I decided that, you know what, I prefer to work at my uncle's art gallery and do something totally different than what I studied for four years in college than go and work in an environment that I don't feel it's aligned with my values. What do you mean by it was too hostile? Well, you know, it was too conservative, you know, like too religious, you know, and I, even though I was born to that religion, that's not what I practice or necessarily believe. So it was difficult to work in an environment that, you know, like your boss, your coworkers, you know, believe certain way or dress certain way and you don't necessarily believe in any of it. So you either have to fake it or to make it through or you just have to not be in the system and I choose not to be in the system. How did you get exposed to these alternatives to your religion and beliefs? Uh, what do you mean by your well, question? Well, you know, you said that, hold on, I just knocked my headset out okay. for a second there, so, oh, got it. <laughs> I, pulled the, <laughs> I pulled the cord right out there. Okay, so what I, I guess where I'm going is a lot of America, a lot of people around the world think, you know, that, oh, you just have complete access to everything that's going on outside of Iran or outside of some other countries. We just think, because we're so used to having complete access to alternative viewpoints, but I, I'm thinking that that's not that easy to get access to a different level of, of your religion in Iran as a woman. You said you had a Walkman and you were listening to Celine Dion. How easy is it to get access to that? And and where did you begin to see that what was happening w wasn't necessarily right? Um, I would say that, um, yes, it was very difficult to have access to resources and know that, hey, there is another environment, another world outside of 
where I'm living, uh, I remember back then they had satellites that would broadcast TV shows like, let's say, Oprah or news like CNN, BBC through the satellite because we couldn't watch these things through our uh, national TV. Um, but it was hard even with having a satellite back then. There was always a risk that the government police would, uh, you know, get to our house and discover that we have this illegally and take the satellite and <laughs> we had to pay a, pay a fine or maybe even be arrested and go to jail. So it's almost that, like, you you know, we, we fight for it to be able to be exposed to other resources to know what the rest of the world live or believe in, but, you know, again, with a risk. And for me, um, that satellite, I watched a lot of Oprah Winfrey show when I was uh, young in Iran, or, you know, I watched news. So that was a way for me to have access to what's going on with the rest of the world. And also, um, I started going to English classes from age nine, and my teacher, because she lived in UK for a long time, she was able to expose us also to another culture, and I got fascinated by the Western culture. Okay, so, you know, it's like I, I sit here and I listen to everything you're saying, and go, oh my God, I have so many questions. Let me just pick one for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> How how did you get from Iran to the United States then? Because that's uh, not that easy for a woman. No, not at all. I was uh, I actually was not allowed to date because if you can imagine in that environment, it was not easy at the time to just freely date guys. So I really didn't date anybody until I think I was age twenty six or something around that time, and uh, I was introduced to Yahoo Messenger by one of my friends. And she said that, hey, if you get on this, uh, you know, application on computer, you would be able to communicate with guys because that is not what we could do. Like going to college, we could not freely talk to our male students and at work, similar thing. So I got on Messenger and my intention was just, I just want to connect with people from all over the world and just make friends uh, and not necessarily any intention you know, in, in the back of my mind. And then I met my ex-husband and we fell in love. We started as a friendship and during the course of three years, it ended up being a, a love uh, that we discovered for each other. And then eventually I moved to U.S. by fiancé visa about 15 years ago. So you met somebody online, essentially, yeah. while you were still living in Iran? In a country where that's, like, not allowed what you're doing. And no, <laughs> because I just remember, like, you know, it truly was not allowed. Like, uh, even though my family were open-minded, it was hard for them to understand the concept of their daughter is, like, you know, communicating with an American. And, you know, he was older than me. And totally different culture, different belief system. He was Christian. So just the whole thing was very hard for my family at the beginning to accept. And then they accepted it, and you ended up in the United States. 
They did. You know, we went to Cyprus for the total of three weeks because it was not safe and necessary for my ex-husband to come to Iran, being an American. So we decided to choose a different country to meet, and Cyprus was a place that me and my family could get visa relatively easy as a visitor. So we went there a total of three weeks during this three-year period, and uh, they met with my ex-husband, they truly liked him, and they agreed eventually, even though still, you know, they had all their concern that I'm going to leave Iran by myself, going to a foreign country with, a, you know, somebody that truly they didn't still know. Well, you have an amazing set of parents. They, they are. They are very supportive. Even though they are not always agree with my decision, they are still loving me and they are supportive. I, that's just beautiful from a culture where that doesn't happen very often. All right, so now you marry this man that you've known for years, but only known in person for three weeks. Exactly. That That just blows my mind, okay? Because although I'm divorced twice, so obviously... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the best judge of, of character when it comes to picking out the men in, in my life. Um, but you get to America. What was that like for you, being married to somebody that is not from your own culture and, and moving to a completely different world? Right. Well, I had, I would say I had mixed emotions because a big part of me wanted it, you know, wanted to... Uh, experience living in a Western country, in a Western culture, I since age nine, I was fascinated by it. So I was excited, and also this man truly at the time was the love of my life, and my first, the first man in my life also. So I was planning to, you know, have kids with him and celebrate Christmases by, you know, in a beautiful house in front of fireplace. So that was the intention truly for me. So I was happy about and excited about this. But then at the same time, you know, I was uh, nervous, of course, that I'm going somewhere that I have no family, no friends. And if this person doesn't treat me nice, I have nobody to even run to. <clears throat> and... Uh, so I had that fear in the back of my mind, too. And then I grew up in an environment, culture-wise, that, like, we, I, we were very outgoing and we always, like, interact with a big family, big friends. And then suddenly when I moved to U.S., it was a small town in Hermitage, Pennsylvania, that maybe it was just a few thousand people living there. And they weren't necessarily at the time open to someone from another country, another culture, accent, everything. So it was a very much culture shock for me at the beginning, you know, despite all that desire that I had to move to U.S. Uh, just moving to a small town in Pennsylvania would be culture shock enough for most people, including me. <laughs> I can't imagine it having grown up where I've grown up. But to be there, and then it sort of sounds like you didn't necessarily feel welcome. Uh, I did not because, um, and I lost my confidence. Even though I knew English, I remember first restaurant that I went was Applebee's, and I had to order my food, and I struggled to order it, even though I knew what I want, because I totally lost my confidence, and I was thinking people are judging me for my accent, 
So for the first, uh, I would say two years or so, I totally lost the confidence until at one point, I think after a year or two, my ex-husband had to do a surgery. And because of this surgery, I had to take over life. I literally had to call and make doctor appointments. I had to go and meet with his crew for his business. So I had no option. And then, you know, I had to put my fear and lack of confidence aside and really step in. This all happens. And then, I mean, part of your story, your entire story has always fascinated me, but then... You know, you get to where you want to be, you lose your confidence after thinking, this is definitely what I want to do, and you end up in a woman's shelter? Uh, I did. Uh, We had a six, seven years marriage, and, you know, we had really amazing good times together, and then we had these very difficult times, and the relationship became abusive, and I... You know, uh, being young, having my first experience in my life with a man, you know, I always thought, like, it's going to change, it's going to get better. And, of course, you know, you know, in relationship, both people, I believe, contribute to uh, the nature of the relationship, whether it goes good or bad. But still, you know, it was truly abusive emotionally, physically, and I survived it until towards the end I got to the point that I realized that, you know, I don't deserve to be treated like this. No matter what I have done, I, you know, like, even if I, you know, I really haven't done anything wrong to be treated like this. And that's when I had to leave my house um, in the middle of the night with my two-year-old son and go to women's shelter for a few nights. It's something that could have happened in your own country and would have been acceptable, is now happening to you in in your new country. That just blows my mind. I, I mean, I don't even know how to respond to what you've gone through in your own life. So how did you then come back from that to become a, a Tony mm-hmm. Robbins coach, to have your own business, to be there helping other women learn how to embrace who they truly are authentically. Uh, I know that's a really, really long story. (laughs) (laughs) We've got about two minutes in national news, so why don't you tease us with that, and then we'll go into it after the news. You know, it was truly one of the most difficult times in my life, and, you know, I did not know my self-worth. And, you know, I was alone by myself in a small town. I was vulnerable. And, you know, but then when enough was enough, I realized that I had to make a change. And being in that shelter, even though it was one of the darkest times in my life, but then at the same time, it opened my eyes up to what other women are going through that they, they were in a wor- more, much more worse situation than I was and it started to developing a heart and passion for me to help women somehow and I didn't know of course how at the time and when I was in shelter during that stay I promised myself that this is not going to happen again and this is the the lowest I have ever hit in my life, and it's not going to happen. I'm going to get out of here. I don't know what I will do with my life, but I know that, you know, I will 
move forward with okay, it. Okay, so hang on right there. We're cutting over to national news. We're here with Sahar Irwin talking about embracing your femininity, a life from Iran to the United States. We'll be right back. Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Welcome back, everyone. If you're listening to me live, you just listen to the national news and a couple of commercials. If you're listening on the podcast, that was pretty instantaneous since I strip out all of that stuff for those who listen on the podcast, which you can get on itsallaboutthequestions.com or anywhere you can get your podcast. We are listened to in, I don't know, something like 30-something countries and... Um, you know, this is my joy, this is my love, and I am here with Sahar Irwin, who has been sharing her life living in Iran and moving to the United States and then ending up in an abusive marriage and getting out of it, who now spends her life teaching women to find their inner beauty, passion, and their voice. And she gets to do it all wearing makeup and nail polish, which to people like me who grew up in the United States, it's something I took for granted. But for a woman who grew up in Iran, it's not something that was safe to do to be a woman and uh, allow who you are to truly shine out like that, because you could be arrested for doing that. So, Sahar, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Laura, for having me on the show. So before the the national news break, we were talking about what it was like you were in an abusive marriage and how you managed to bring yourself out of that and move into the work that you're doing today, which, as you told me during the commercial break, you don't feel safe going back to Iran to even see your parents because of of who you're being in the world. That that just would be so hard. Uh, it is because, you know, for my business, I try to put myself out there and share my message and story authentically. And it can potentially cause a problem for me if I go back to the country. That is why my preference is that I meet my parents in another country, like Canada, for example. Gotta love Canada. I always, uh, I think it's the new neutral zone. Forget Switzerland. Talk about Canada, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and that was my Star Trek reference thrown in there. Once a geek, always a geek. But, you know, you're a math geek, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you totally get it. All right, so let's let's talk some more about this whole idea of how you began embracing and helping other pe- women find their inner beauty. I, I think, you know, I, I've always been in male-dominated fields my whole career, computers, tech. I went to engineering college, all of these different things. You know, I went from wearing the high heels to now I I just want to wear flats and sneakers and jeans and and I really don't care so much about wearing evening gowns and putting makeup on all the time. I've actually spoken on stages without makeup. Right. But that's not what you're talking about. It's not about that external, is it? It's really not. Uh, You know... My message at its core is encouraging women to be authentic to who they are and not be afraid to express themselves. So if for one woman wearing makeup and doing their hair and nails and wearing a nice dress is the way that they feel 
beautiful about themselves and they feel like they can express themselves the best of, about who they are, then that is what the message is encouraging them to do. But if for another woman they feel that they are their best wearing the jean and, you know, or yoga pants and, you know, don't wear makeup, then that's what's best for them. But it's about you know, bringing out that inner beauty, that passion that we have from, in, bring that from inside out and also letting the world to hear about our voice. Did that work that you're doing now come from the fact that you couldn't show who you were while you were in Iran? Exactly. The core of my message is rooted to my story from where I grew up. And because wearing this nail polish was so important to me that even one time when I was in college, I was almost uh, was asked to leave the campus to remove my nail polish. And that was the only way I was allowed to come back to my math class. And, you know, that was something for me so dear that up to this point, even if I have like a high fever of 103, and I feel extremely sick, I still manage to wear this nail polish and because it represents freedom for me. Just the ability to do whatever you want and not worry. Right. Okay. Do you have a favorite color? <laughs> uh, it could be anything from red to purple to pink. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've begun channeling my mom because I'm now wearing glitter nail polish. I love it. <laughs> it, it it's interesting because it's, it's such a simple thing, right, nail polish, but you've made it into the metaphor for embracing who you are. Yes, because, you know... Uh, I have find this about myself, and I know it's true for other women, too. You know, if we are going through a tough time, you know, it could be a breakup. It could be a challenging business, health, anything. If we just take the time to, you know, go maybe to a hair salon and do our hair, or if we can't even afford that, do it at home. But take that time to take care of ourselves, you know. And for me, it could be nail polish. For somebody else, it could be you know, running around the lake for half an hour or walking their dog, you know. But giving that permission to ourselves to take the time to take care of ourselves, it changes our mood right away. Like, I can have the worst day, and the moment that I go to the hair salon and I do my hair or I do my nail, it just changes something in my attitude that tells me, you know what, life is not that bad. Try again. My ex-husband, every time I went to get a, a manicure, pedicure before a, a speaking gig or before something, he'd go, and, and if I wasn't able to sort of ramp myself up prior to an event, he goes, Laura, well, you know, you haven't gotten your mani-pedi yet. You haven't started putting your armor on yet. <laughs> That's so true. Yes, it's, uh, it changes our attitude when we take care of our look, you know, however that look means to, you know, for us, you know, if we want to be more like a tomboy or more girly, it doesn't matter. As long as we take care of ourselves, it changes our attitude. Yeah, and I never thought about it until he had said, Laura, when you get your mani-pedi, it's like putting on your armor. You're preparing mentally for 
what's coming next. And for you, the nail polish, I think, is also putting on your armor to do battle as a woman. Not not battle, but to to fully be who you are. It allows you to connect. That's your ritual that allows you to connect to your inner you. Exactly. And uh, what I'm discovering as I'm developing this message, teaching women about embracing their femininity, is that I believe we women... Um, at our heart, we are feminine goddesses. We are beautiful. We are passionate. We are nurturing. But at the same time, we all have a voice. It doesn't matter if a woman lives in Africa or they are here in the United States. We all have a voice. We all have a story worth hearing. And we are all having a talent, a potential to make a mark in the world. And you know, the two are not contradiction with each other because, you know, like you mentioned, you were working in an environment that was male-dominated or, you know, your industry is so logical, you know, and uh, us women at our core, we are uh, emotional beings, nurturing beings, loving beings. And the two, you know, being feminine and also being a leader and having a voice is something that is not in contradiction with each other because we can be this feminine goddess at our core but at the same time be a warrior and what i'm passionate to do as i progress with my message is to help women understand that you know what at your work you can be a leader but still you can do it with elegance of a woman because that feminine woman when she comes home she would be more nurturing to her loved ones and if she brings that attitude of a masculine energy to her loved one. What would you say to my listeners who are not feeling very confident, whether they're a man or a woman, um, because, you know, we're live on the air, so we're not limited to just women that are listening. Somebody who's not feeling confident and can't really feel who their own inner beauty whatever it may be, their inner warrior, what piece of advice would you give them to help them begin to unlock that? I would say a lot of our lack of self-confidence comes from, you know, our environment and us listening to other people's opinion too much and value their opinion versus our opinion. And it's interesting because I had this conversation a couple of days ago with my boyfriend and he said, like, I'm surprised that, like, when you go, for example, here in Orlando to Park Avenue and you walk, you don't even care if guys are looking at you and checking you out or not. I said, yes, I don't care because... I don't, you know, for me, when I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror, I want to give myself validation as a person, as a woman. And I don't care, you know, what other people think about my look or give me validation and approval or not. Of course, when I'm in a relationship with someone, it melts my heart. It makes me excited when, you know, I get compliments from my loved ones, but, you know, Whatever I do in the morning when I wake up and look in the mirror, when I dress up, I do it for myself. So I only seek my own approval. And if we all practice this, that, you know what, the only person that we need to please, the only person that we need their approval is ourselves, then we kind of eliminate this constant need at maybe we are not enough because we are not being approved by others. 
And it's also a conscious practice, like you mentioned, like a ritual that we have to do every day. Because confidence, you know, it's nothing that we go to the grocery store and buy it. Confidence is something that we have to generate it from inside out every day consciously. And at first it's going to be difficult, but the more we practice it, the more better we get at it. I think you and my guest I had on last week, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, um, need to need to meet because you guys would just absolutely love her. Her latest book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, Mastering the Difficult Emotions and to Gain Confidence, Resiliency, and, and more. And you very much said the same things, that it really comes from from inside that you have to be comfortable with yourself yet for so many people that is so hard what do you say to them uh you know again laura it's a matter of practice because you know uh, you know even though you know everyone right now you're male women uh, female are listening to the show but let's uh, kind of uh, address an issue that a lot of women have you know about their look you know we think that we have to have certain uh, body image, certain uh, facial image and everything because of all the advertising that is out there in the media and social media. And we constantly compare ourselves with all these advertisements and we feel lack about our own self. And one of the things is like, quit the comparison, you know, and just be grateful about who you are, where you are. And if you want to improve your look, you know, like if somebody wants to be more fit and lose weight, do it for yourself, do it for your health, but don't do it because you saw somebody on Instagram and who knows what kind of a picture they got and they tailor it with, you know, all the tools, you know. So it's just, this is something that we have to practice every day consciously. The work that you do... Um, I know you've you studied with Tony Robbins and Brendan Burchard and 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 more, and you've even got um, a certification. You know, you're a, a marriage education, divorce prevention, and strategic information intervention coach. I feel like you've transcended all of those different certifications that you have. That you, you did all this learning, you spent all this time, but if anything, it just helped you access what you already knew and who you already were. It is very true because uh, I went intensely uh, into educating myself in a self-development world for the last eight, nine years, and I literally, for the first two years, when I was introduced to Tony Robbins' environment, I took probably about 17 live seminars as a participant and crew member. So I really went deep into it. Uh, but what I'm learning recently that it's not that hard. And, you know, we all as human beings have all the resources that we need within us. And like you said, you know, even though I went through all this journey, everything that I needed was rooted in my story like as a child growing up in in Iran. And, you know, recently one of the things that I try to practice is that let go of the manual. So when I'm dealing with the loved ones, it could be a boyfriend, it could be a client, it could be I'm hosting a retreat for women. I try to tell myself you don't need to come up with like 10 action items 
and steps for everyone and make it complicated. Just come from the heart, speak from the heart and experience and, you know, get rid of manuals. People don't need manual. People need somebody that is authentic, that is raw and sharing from the heart. And when I practice from this place, I get a better response from people. Yet for so many people, they feel so vulnerable when they're accessing their authentic them. And I think some of it, and I've seen it with my own clients, is because they don't really know who they are. They've never allowed themselves to truly be vulnerable to themselves to allow their own feelings to come up. Right. It's a very hard concept because we have been told by our environment that you know hey vulnerability is a sign of weakness like if you are a man especially you shouldn't cry you shouldn't be emotional you have to follow your logic or you know if you are a woman at work you have to follow your logic emotions are a sign of weakness but if we get to that place that we are comfortable with our emotions with who we are at our core and just express ourselves with no fear that vulnerability is actually more powerful than all these masks that we put on ourselves to supposedly protect ourselves but in reality we are hurting ourselves when we are vulnerable with our loved ones at our work environment, we give permission to other people that they can also be vulnerable and be human. And then the connections that we create is at a deeper level. Right. I want to make sure, since we're getting close to the end of the show, that you have a chance to share how people can get in touch with you and follow up with you. So why don't you share your contact information with everybody? Sure. Uh, my website is uh, com, and Sahar is S-A-H-A-R, and last name Irvin is I-R-W-I-N, and my email address is sahar at saharirvin.com. And you're based out of Orlando, Florida, for anybody that's local. <laughs> yes. All right. So last thought, what would you like to share with my listeners to be their authentic self and uh, just follow their heart. And by doing that, they give other people permission to do the same. And it's the most beautiful thing. And what if they're afraid to do that? How can they help themselves connect to who they truly are? Just one baby step at a time. You know, even if they get off track, nine out of ten, get back on track and practice and take small steps and you know when they achieve something they just pat themselves on the back for their victory and never be ashamed of who they are at their core which for so many people can be so hard that whole concept of not feeling ashamed for who you are or even liking yourself i know right now i've been on steroids a lot in the last eight months due to um, sound induced vertigo so that i can do my show and speak and do things and i've gained a lot of weight and i'm not comfortable and there are some days i look in the mirror and i'm annoyed to no end at myself even though i i know i had to do certain things for my health mm-hmm. and there are a lot of other of my listeners out there, I see this with my clients all the time. What should they be asking themselves to help themselves to connect to who they are? I would say uh, having the attitude of gratitude can be very helpful. That even though when we are going through a challenge like what you shared, 
you know, with your health, that, you know, looking at who you are at your core, Laura, and not be worried about, you know, that physical uh, change that might not be pleasant to you or might be judged by other people and go back to who you are at your core, the beautiful woman that you are and this vibrant energy that you have that everybody can sense it, you know, listening to you and just be grateful for, you know, all the talents, all the gifts that you have and know that, you know, whatever you're dealing with can be temporary. I love that last part. Oh, I loved all of it, and thank you so much. Truly honored by by your words. Um, it's it's temporary, right? One moment to the next, things can radically change. What in your life has been such a big change for you recently? I mean, obviously, going from Iran to the United States to an abusive marriage to having a wonderful son and. Uh, a boyfriend, your boyfriend said to you, you just don't care what other people think, do you? But that's not something that everybody can connect to. We worry a lot about what other people think of us and, and how they're judging us. So is there a challenge that you're currently dealing with right now? Of, of course, many, many challenges. One thing that I'm actually experiencing and I'm trying to look at it in a beautiful way is my own relationship because, you know, we are two people in love and we have a past history and we come together and we want to have a pleasant relationship and then we have our own sets of challenges. And I am learning that, you know, practice virtues that I didn't necessarily practice in my previous relationships. And one of the things is patient. Patient is so important in, in love life that, you know, when somebody does something that you don't necessarily agree with it, you know, just be patient for the sake of love, for the sake of relationship. And also put that, uh, I would say, the flashlight back at myself, you know, and instead of saying to my partner, you should have done this or that, put that flashback right, uh, flashlight back right at me and say, what can I do as a person to improve and to nourish this relationship more? Is it some inner work I need to do on myself? And that is uh, what I'm in the process of working and evolving as a person. It's a beautiful idea of turning that flashlight on, on yourself, looking in that mirror and saying that, I'm involved in whatever's happening. It's not just putting it outside. It's not being the victim. It's reflecting back to yourself. And your your story, I know, has impacted me greatly. And I know it's impacted my listeners as well. And I want to make sure one more time that we share um, your contact information, Sahar. So let's do that one more time. Yes, uh, my website is www.saharerwin.com. Sahar, S-A-H-A-R, and Erwin, I-R-W-I-N. And my email address is sahar at saharerwin.com. And I'm actually hosting a retreat March 23rd on the topic of embracing uh, your femininity. Oh, great. For anybody that is interested. And for anybody listening on the podcast after March 23rd, go up to Sahar's website because she always has amazing workshops and you can work with her directly as well. And I know she she just loves hearing from people and wanting to help you grow and embrace your own inner femininity and who you really are. And I love this that um, 
anyone can be a feminine goddess, yet a warrior at heart. We're all our own Wonder Womans, aren't we? Exactly. Although I always connected more to Xena Warrior Princess than uh, <laughs> Wonder Woman. I don't know why. I think because Xena had so many more failings. <laughs> Wonder Woman always <laughs> just seems so perfect. <laughs> I'm so not that. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being on the show, Sahar. Thank you very much, Laura. All right, everybody. I want you to embrace your own, um, your own true warrior, who you are in your heart. That's why I have guests on the show like Sahar and Dr. Joan Rosenberg last week and, and all the guests that I've had on the show. Because if you can embrace your own inner warrior, you can achieve anything you want in your life. So remember, the right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone, and let me know what color nail polish you're wearing. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 